Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. It's good. Okay, I want to divide the crowd one more time. How many of you are cat people? Okay. And how many of you would be dog people? Okay. Good. If you're joining us online and you want to jot your answer down, if you're a cat person, dog person, let us know that. Um, The question is, is what do you do when you have a dog and kids in your home want to get another something else, but you're not allowed to get a cat? This is not my dilemma. This is my friend Preston's dilemma, and I heard him tell this story. I got permission to retell the story to you if it's okay. But Preston has a second grader in his life. His daughter's name is Piper, and they told her that, Piper, we can get a new animal. We just cannot get another dog, and we cannot get a cat. And third stipulation is we cannot have to feed this dog or feed this animal um, every day. So what kind of animal can you get that you, can't, you don't have to feed every day? You can go on vacation for a couple weeks and the animal's not going to die. And some of you are like, well, maybe it's a fish. And it's like, no. And I know what you're thinking. Hermit crab. <laughs> Is that not what you were thinking? That's exactly what my friend Preston and his daughter Piper came up with. Like, if you get a hermit crab, it doesn't eat all the time. You can have long stretches of time where you're away from this animal. It will still continue to live. And so they got hermit crabs. And so as a good dad, my friend Preston was like, hey, Piper, let's go to the store. They got a they got hermit crab. She got hers. And being the dad, he's like, I'm going to get one too. And he wanted to get a bigger one. Why are you saying no? It's so weird. So they put them together, and they would do the ritual, like the occasional feeding. Again, not every day because you don't have to. They would go on vacations at time. They would come back, continue to feed the hermit crabs. And then one day, they come home, and my friend Preston goes right to the place where all the hermit crabs are, the two that they have received, and he sees a murder scene. There are, there's an empty shell, and there are pieces of a hermit crab all over the place. There's blood. There's things. And so his daughter, the second grader, Piper, is about to come into the room. And he's like, no. And eventually he just has to let her come see this scene. And she's like, what happened? And my friend Preston's like, I don't know. We got to figure this one out. Um, so they go to the the pet store, and it was her hermit crab that, that passed, if you will. Um, so they go to the pet store, and, and my friend Preston's engaging with the person like, hey, you, you sold us these hermit crabs. They've been fine for a while, and then one now is mysteriously just dead. Why? And uh, the guy at the store goes, were they in the same? He's like, yeah, yeah. Were there empty shells around? He's like, no, we just had the one and then the other and then the one died and there's the one that's living. There's no extra shells except the one that's empty because the one died and it's just going on. And person's like, well, that's it. That's the reason because the hermit crab eventually will grow out of 
its shell and need to find a new shell. And so that's what your daughter's hermit crab did. It got out of its shell because it's growing, needs a bigger shell. The only other bigger shell in the tank is your hermit crab. But because your hermit crab is bigger, the younger one is going to lose. So what you do when you have this situation, and many of you are taking notes, I can see, for your next hermit crab purchase, you need to put hermit crabs in their tank, but you also need to get empty shells of different size so that the hermit crab can grow into. I thought this story was amazing as my friend Preston was telling it. He goes, it's a little like church. There's these moments. I don't know what you took from that, that statement right there. I haven't even explained myself, and you're laughing. It's a little bit like church because there are times in our lives where we have been in the shell that we've been in, and it's time for us to grow, but we don't know where we need to go to. And sometimes it ends up being a bloody mess, and we don't know how to proceed. And our hope is here at Refuge that as we continue to get to know one another, get to know who God is, we're being challenged to grow out from the shells of our youth, if you will, or the shells of the past, and allow ourselves to continue to understand God better and better as we get into bigger and better shells. That's the opening for today's story, is the idea of hermit crabs. I'm going to open up the Bible here in a minute, but for some of you, the hermit crab story will be the only thing you remember today. <laughs> and that is okay, all right? Hey, so if you do have a Bible, whether it's on your phone or you actually have one with pages, which is a cool thing to have, I want you to turn to an Old Testament book called the Book of Job. And if you were like me as a kid, I thought it was the Book of Job because that's how it's spelled. It's J-O-B, but it's a guy's name, Book of Job. And so as we engage this book of Job, which is our reading for today from the lectionary, and we do this thing called the lectionary where we align ourselves with Christians and churches all over the world that will be reading this same story today. This is the Old Testament reading that is assigned to the first Sunday of October. And it's Job chapter 1, just one verse, and then we jump quickly into chapter 2, and we read the first 10 verses of chapter 2. Now, if you're like me, there are times in our lives where we come to certain sections of Scripture and we have preconceived notions about what's going on. Some of you have heard stories about the book of Job, and you're like, I don't really go there because it's all bad news. And it might be. That's very true. But we also have these understandings that we don't, under, we don't always grasp the genre of writing that's going on. For instance, let's do a quick genre test here. If I were to show you a movie and on the front credits you see scrolling words that say in a galaxy far, far away, you know exactly where we're at, correct? This is a genre of film. It's a genre of storytelling. And the makers of that story and that film, Star Wars, by the way, in case you wanted to get the answer correct, um, the makers of that story wanted you to experience something grand in the midst of setting it in a galaxy far, far away, which seems elusive, and we're like, I don't even know how to get to that galaxy, which is true. We don't always know how to get there. But how many of us have a show in our life, a TV show, or a movie, maybe it's a book, or even a song that helps you see the world, right? You see the truths that are gets expressed from that story, and you're like, that's how I see things. In the book of Job, if we're not careful, sometimes we can read it and we're like, ooh, it's all bad news. I'm going to set it aside. 
But for some of us, if we can open up the book of Job and see it with different lenses, then we understand that this perhaps is a storytelling technique for how to see reality. I'm setting that up in a grand way to hopefully open your eyes to something new. So if you head with me to Job chapter 1, many scholars, most scholars I would even contend, would say this is the oldest writing in the Bible. So we have Genesis at the beginning of the Bible, and that tells how things began in a poetic version of creation. But, but the book of Job would be the oldest writing. So here we go. Verse 1. In the land of Uz, and already you're taken in. You're like, yes, I love that land. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. And already you're like, something bad's about to happen. No story begins with all good news, and it just continues to be all good news. And you and I know that to be true because we know how life works. And the writers of Scripture are just like you and I. They are real people in real places in real time that sometimes need to tell stories to help understand how life really is. And so we begin with the story about Job, and he's blameless He shuns evil. He's faithful to God. Chapter 2. Head over there. Chapter 2, verse 1. And don't worry, I'm not ignoring the rest of chapter 1 because I don't like what it says. We'll get there in a second. But chapter 2, this is where the story arc for us today centers. And it says, On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Okay, quick, scene change. We hear the story about Job, who's blameless, shuns evil, does good things, and then instantly we're taken into a place where it seems like, almost like we're in heaven or a throne room where God is presiding, and there's angels or angelic beings coming before him, and one of them is called Satan. And some of us, we have really big issues with someone called Satan, but it it probably probably is not the person holding the pitchfork with red horns in this storyline. Because this literature is helping us understand that actually the Hebrew word for Satan here, ha-satan, is actually the accuser. So it's almost as if God is allowing an angelic being in his presence that continues to accuse how good God is. That's his role. And some of us are like, why does he even allow it? And you're like, it's literature. Why is it that Jar Jar Binks was in episode three? We don't know. But he allowed it to happen, okay? Just going there with me on this for a second, okay? So why is it that Satan's allowed to be in, in, in the presence of God? Because you have to understand the genre of writing. It's a lens for how to see things. It may not always be an exact replica of what happened, but that's where we're at. So it's this throne room scene where these angelic beings are there, they're having moments with God, and he's asking Satan this question, where have you come from? He's like, I've been coming around the earth, going all around. Verse 3, chapter 2. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. 
And if you're like me, when we read those words in chapter 2, we're saying to ourselves, what happened? Okay, quick story to recap chapter 1. Here's really what's going on. We hear about Job. He's a good guy. He's got 10 kids, 7 sons, 3 daughters. He's got great amounts of land, all kinds of cattle, all kinds of animals. So in the world's eye, Job has everything going on. He's rich, rich with land, rich with with animals, and to be honest, rich with a family. But there's this wager that happens between the accuser, Satan in this story, and God. And Satan says in chapter 1, the only reason that Job is faithful to you, God, is because you give him everything. Let's see what happens if you take it all away. And that's what happens in chapter 1. And then we come to this moment in chapter 1 where Job is stopped by messenger after messenger after messenger after messenger with bad news. So the first messenger runs into the house. Gives him a message that says, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Bad news number one. But even before he finished speaking, another messenger arrived with more bad news. Messenger 2 said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep. Huh? And the servants. And I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. But even before he finished speaking, a third messenger arrived with some other calamity and bad news. The Chaldeans. Oh, we hate them. The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. But even before this messenger finished speaking, a fourth messenger arrived. And I bet Job didn't even want to hear what he had to say, and this is the worst of them all. Job, your sons and daughters... All ten of them were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one here to tell you. So this is the setting of the scene from chapter 2 when God says to Satan, You incited me against my servant Job. No matter how blameless he is, you said that he would curse me even if everything was taken away. So as the messengers came and told him the bad news, when Job gets to the end of chapter 1, as the story tells us, he shaves his head, rips off his clothes, as you would. You can take your camels, you can take the sheep, you can take the cattle, But when something happens to your family member, it's deeper than that. And we know this pain because each of us have people in our lives where this has happened to. 
not in the same exact details, but we know when pain happens and strikes people, we are always hit with the question, what should we do? So when God and the accuser in chapter 2 are talking, and God says, you incited me against him, you took a gamble and a bet, but yet Job was upright and still faithful. And then Satan continues in verse 4. Well, skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Just put yourself in that scene with Job. All that has happened, everything that's been taken away, everything that he's experienced. In verse 9, Job's wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And that's where our, our reading ends for today. And some of you are hooked enough, you might even continue reading, and I hope you do. Because even over the next couple of Sundays, as we dive into the book of Job, we're going to see different episodes of his life. But when we hit, are hit with the reality of what he experienced in chapters 1 and 2, Without much distance, we understand exactly what he's going through. Because we've got people in our lives who are experiencing pain. We know what it's like when pain happens and the questions that often happen. If God is good, then why this? But I thought I was doing exactly what God told me to do, and I'm still not able to make it. But why is it that when I prayed that person wasn't healed and they still died. These are the questions of real life. And hopefully when we gather on Sundays, we proclaim who God is and we proclaim his majesty and his magnificence. But there are still times for us if we're sitting honest with each other around a campfire perhaps, being honest with our lives and saying it is still so hard to continue to believe in the midst of everything that happens. And this is not just a story for scripture but it is a lens for which how we see things. So if we look at the, the, the story of Job, we can see how is it that God interacts with him in the midst of all that's going on. But like a story, but like a narrative arc in a play or a performance on stage or in a movie, it may not be the exact details of how things happen, but we know the storyline because it's familiar to us. Less than 10 days ago, a friend of mine called, texted me actually, and I haven't seen this friend in years. 
she texted and just said, Brenton, any chance that we could meet up today? And I said, hey, I am actually not even nearby Orange today. I'm down in South County for some meetings. But I could sense the urgency in her text, and I said, can I call you real quick before I head into my meeting at 9? And so I called her at 8.50, and as she answered my phone call, she's crying. And I can hear it in her tone. And I said, what's happening? And she's telling me, she's like, my mother-in-law's in the hospital, and it's bad. And all of us have had these moments at times. If not us, then we know people in our lives when this happens, and we don't know where to turn, and sometimes we just reach out for anything. And we reach out for prayer, even perhaps for those people in our lives that we would sense our prayers. And she's asking me, would you pray? And I said, yes, I will definitely pray. And she gives me the circumstances of the scenario, and I'm praying for her mother-in-law. And when that phone call ends... That doesn't leave me. I continue to check in with her the rest of that day and into the next day. And when it got to Friday, two days later, I'm asking her, I'm like, hey, how things are going? And she's like, it's amazing. Like, she's turned better and things are good. And I'm like, yes. And I have stopped believing that it's me. Believe me. It's like, you don't have to call me for the good prayers. On Monday morning, I just decided, like, oh, the week's starting. I should check in with her. I said, hey, how's it going? And she said, my mother-in-law passed away last night. So from Friday when things were turning better to Monday, she died. And if you're a, a person with any sense of feelings, you're like, how does that happen? What goes on? Like, but I thought we were praying. And then my friend, not even two days later, texted me, and he lives in Northern California, and he said, oh, Hey, Brenton, just a heads up, my pastor at our church up here passed away from COVID this week. You're like, oh, what? I don't, even, I don't even know how to make sense of some of this. It just seems like it's always bad news. And then I talked to my friend who lives out of this area, hours away from here. And he's telling me stories about how his marriage is just completely falling apart. And he goes, I'm not even sure she's going to stay with me. And I'm hearing it in his voice on the phone. It's not unlike the messengers that come to Job, bad news after bad news after bad news. And I'm not telling you this to tell you that everybody around me is just filled with bad news, but this is sometimes the real life that we live. It's death at times. It's the bad diagnosis or whatever has been termed, and we don't know how to do anything. We are numb with the pain that we are experiencing, and we come to Scripture at times, and we're like, well, you just need to believe and you need to pray more, which is what we might be telling the kids next door, but that is a starting shell for your hermit crab life. But as we continue to grow and we experience life, it eats us up at times and we need to take on new shells and we need to understand how it is that God is still present in the midst of the pain that we go through and experience. And I don't know the resolution to all the stories of even the quick ones that I told you about, the text messages, the phone calls, the things that happened, but I know you have them too. And I know you experience things and you wonder, is there any good God out there? Because we've been told a lie. And the lie is this. 
that if you do all the right things, then God will bless you. And we're told that if you do all those right things and God blesses you, then everything will be dandy. But that's not really how real life works. And when we struggle with that concept of who God is, then our shell begins to break. And we are forced into a wonderment of, will I grow through this and see the evidence of God in the midst of the pain that's all around me? What will I do with it? How is it that I will act in this moment? So when we read portions of scripture like Job, and we say, oh, thank God it's not my story, but we can't distance ourselves too much because we have stories that are similar nearby. And we're like, why is it that he stayed faithful? And we hit those ending words of chapter one where he says, naked I came from the womb and naked I will return to God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. It's the kind of depth of our understanding in our mind, in our heart, and our soul that says, no matter what comes my way, that doesn't change the goodness of who God is. Because there is evil in this world. And some of the things that we experience are not directly connected to what we've done. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we choose evil paths for ourselves and we head down that road. But as we see in Job's story, that's not the case. That no matter how blameless you are, there still can be bad things that happen. And I know even your mind is like, but the story was bad because God did this weird bet with Satan. And you're like, I get it, but it's a story in a galaxy far, far away. Like, do you understand how this really works? When we read portions of scripture like this, it's as if we have to step back and say, is this a helpful piece of literature to help us understand who God is? And because it's the oldest piece of scripture in the Bible, I love that it doesn't start with a creation story. It actually starts with the utter pain of life. Because what we find as we read through the rest of the story, and I cannot wait to get to the end of the book, and it doesn't all get happy, but it does put things in perspective. That when we get to the end of the book, God reminds Job of what reality is. So I hope that you stay with us over the next few weeks because we're going to get there. But for you and for me, when pain happens, when we are overcome with the realities of this life, we're tempted to believe I either did something wrong or I didn't pray hard enough. But there are times where you may not have done something wrong and you probably did pray enough and it's still bad news, and it doesn't mean that God is not good, and it doesn't mean that God is not real, and it doesn't even mean that God doesn't like you. It just means that in the midst of this side of eternity, until we get to the place where the new heavens and new earth are in, where God redeems it all, we're stuck here in the middle where it's painful, and it's hard, and it's not easy, and I don't even know your stories. Some of you I do because you've let me in. But on this day, as we head into the rest of October, my hope for you is this, that you will see God to be faithful and you will see God to be present. And God being faithful does not mean 
He does whatever we want him to do. It is just the same thing as my interactions with my kids. When they want everything in life and they don't get it, that is probably the better thing for them. Because it's teaching them that you probably shouldn't eat candy for breakfast. Like, I know you want it. Like, literally this morning at my table, my son says, why can't I start the day with ice cream? And I said, because Grandma Sherry told me that's not how we do things, okay? <laughs> it's not how it works. He said, it's not good for you. It's just, it's what you want, but it's not necessarily what you need. And for some of us, as our shells are breaking this morning, and we're looking for the next shell to move into, my prayer for you this month is that you find a shell that shows you God is faithful in the midst of the hard, that God still can be good even though things around us are not. And until he comes again and fixes it all, you and me are part of his storyline that still gets to bring good news to the world that's painful. So when we interact with people who are going through the worst of the worst, we don't stay far away. We move in closer and we say, what can I do? How can I help? How can I show that God is still real in this moment? When you get the diagnosis and you don't like it, you call and you ask your friends to pray, not because the prayers may necessarily fix everything, but because the prayers will draw people close and show you that God is still real through the presence of other people. Because this world that we live in is not the way it was supposed to be. But God is in the business of constantly redeeming and reclaiming and restoring. And he's using people like you and me to do it. So this week, have your eyes out for how you and I get to be a part of that story. And let's look to see what he does this rest of the month. As I pray, the worship team's gonna come and we're gonna end with the song that we ended this morning with, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Because for some of us, we need that track to just be playing on our heads this week as things continue to go. So pray with me. God, we are thankful for how you have given us another opportunity to come together and to open up your word. The honesty and the rawness of the book of Job is real and we often wanna stay away from it because it's so painful and it brings up so much reality of what's around us. So I pray for those in this room who are suffering this morning, who this past week has beaten them down. Even those who are watching online who might be wondering, is, is this really the way it's always going to be? I pray, Lord, that your presence would surround us, that you would give us hope in the midst of of the pain. And as Job prayed at the end and as he exclaimed at the end of chapter one, you give and you take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. You are a good God. Help us to discover that this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want you to stand and worship with our worship team one final time. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious, let's sing that again, blessed be the name of the Lord.
sometimes I have you uh, I have you pray with your hands out. If you don't mind joining me with this, almost like you're about to receive something and catch something. Heavenly Father, as we go from this place, may we receive evidence of your presence. It might be a word that someone says. It might be a song that comes on the playlist that reminds us of who you are. It might even be us opening up your word and being caught dead in the tracks with how you work. And as you proclaimed yourself faithful to Job, even in the earliest moments of his pain, may you continue to proclaim yourself faithful to us. As we go from this place, may we be able to sense you, know you, and feel loved by you. Because that will change everything about the way we see this world. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it is bad. But God, you continue to be good. You continue to be faithful. And blessed be your name. Amen. Peace be with you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday here at Refuge. Don't forget about Kid Day on October 31st. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.